grateful for you, Lord, for all you've done. Yes, Father. We know, God, that you are not a lucky charm that we come to when we need something, God, that, that you have provided for us, God, even when we weren't serving you, Lord. Mm. That you had your hand upon our lives, that you've called us out, God. You've set our feet on a sure foundation. You are the high and anointed one. Father, may we lift you up in all that we say and all that we do, God. Father, we lift up those who are meeting, Father, today in your name, God, who are suffering persecution. Father, protect them. Father, encourage them. God, and may your gospel go forth all across this planet today, God. Father, we are just grateful for this time that we have together to honor you in spirit and in truth. God, may we be obedient in all things, setting the world aside and focusing on you and you alone. In Jesus' name, amen. You mentioned Samaritan's Purse. I I can vividly see when 20 years ago when we were so young and Mm. we got all those boxes and we went down to Yola. Yeah. And all those people were there, and we went down. We took our little shoeboxes that we decorated. I think Michelle and them were still young. I think so. They were still kids. And it's, I mean, as soon as you said, I could seriously just, it looked, hmm. it was Christmas at Eola. You could see the lights and things, but I just could see us just walking. We walked, and Bob walked, and the kids were and we're just taking these boxes, and we were so excited yeah. that they were getting sent, and we knew somebody, and the kids were very excited yeah. that they were. This is some going to someone that they didn't even know, but yeah. I. It was just like a video of a blink back in my head of 20 years ago when we did that 15. I don't know, maybe 15. It's been, it's been about 20 yeah. something because it's when we first started get. You know, we first started going down to prayer walking together, and then we mm-hmm. first started meeting or when you were still living with me I yeah. think yeah. I just it was just I just sat there and went <laughs> it was like a movie yeah wow God is good it's amazing thank you amen alright well let's praise the Lord I just want more. I just want
tights from your robe Steals the weakness from my bones oh, I need more of you
an opportunity for take a communion this morning. So Norma, would you come and begin to pass out the elements and prepare our hearts as the song of worship is being sung over us. Oh, that you were crying. 
Would you pray over the cup? Take the cup. Amen. Amen. Community. Two definitions. A group of people living in the same place or having a particular characteristic in common. A feeling of fellowship with others as a result of sharing common attitudes, interests, and goals. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. 1 Corinthians Chapter 1, verse 10, and as I've been reminding us over the past few months, that Jesus is the center of the Christian community. Apart from Him, what do we have? Nothing. (laughs) Nothing. (laughs) We just have ourselves, our desires, our needs, our wants. But 1 Corinthians chapter 10, I mean, chapter 1, verse 10. I appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters, by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ, to live in harmony with each other. Let there be no divisions in the church. Rather be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. Let there be no divisions in the church. Live in harmony with each other. Be of one mind united in thought 
and purpose. When we gather, we're gathering for Jesus. He's a center. We come collectively to worship together Jesus. He is the head. We are the body. He is the center of our community. We serve for Jesus as we're serving others. We give for Jesus as we're giving to others. We are upholding the standards of Christ so that others can see that there is deliverance, there is freedom found in Christ and in Christ alone. Everyone is searching to be fulfilled. We all know, all of us, every person who was born, there is that emptiness within them to belong. And it's only through Christ one is truly made whole. Nothing missing, nothing broken. And as Christians, we come together to celebrate the freedom that we have in Christ. That we have been washed clean. That our sins have been forgiven. We have the good news for mankind. And so we come together. We long to be together as we're longing for Christ. The return of Christ that we will be with Him and with each other for eternity. This is the good news that we have. And yet, though the earth is getting darker and darker, we are to be getting brighter and brighter, not just to burn among each other, but to go forth into the communities that are outside of the Christian community to impact them with the truth. They should be able to look at us and say they are a strange group of people. But they will know that we belong to Him by our love for one another. So many different people groups make up the body of Christ. And yet they're called to live in harmony. They're called to let there be no divisions among you. They are called to be of one mind, united in thought and Purpose. This is the body of Christ. This is who we are. And this is why we come together in order to celebrate the risen King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So that we can encourage each other, edify each other, and build each other up. Go to 1 John chapter 1. First John chapter 1. Verse 7, and then we're going to read through 2, verse 17. First John chapter 1, verse 7. But if we are living in the light, as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other. And the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. If we claim we have not sinned, we are calling God a liar and showing that his word has no place in our hearts. My dear children, I'm writing this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins, 
And not only our sins, but the sins of all the world. And we can be sure that we know him if we obey his commandments. If someone claims, I know God, but doesn't obey God's commandment, that person is a liar and is not living in the truth. But those who obey God's word truly show how completely they love him. This is how we know we are living in him. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. Dear friends, I'm not writing a new commandment for you. Rather, it is an old one. You have had from the very beginning. This old commandment to love one another is the same message you've heard before. Yet it is also new. Jesus lived the truth of this commandment, and you also are living it. For the darkness is disappearing, and the true light is already shining. If anyone claims, I am living in the light, but hates a Christian brother or sister, that person is still living in darkness. Anyone, anyone who loves another brother or sister is living in the light and does not cause others to stumble. But anyone who hates another brother or sister is still living and walking in darkness. Such a person does not know the way to go, having been blinded by the darkness. So I'm writing to you who are God's children because your sins have been forgiven through Jesus. I'm writing to you who are mature in the faith because you know Christ who existed from the beginning. I'm writing to you who are young in the faith because you have won your battle with the evil one. I have written to you who are God's children because you know the Father. I have written to you who are mature in the faith because you know Christ who existed from the beginning. I have written to you who are young in the faith because you are strong. God's word lives in your hearts and you have won your battle with the evil one. Do not love this world nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from the world. And this world is fading away along with everything that, everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. Community. We are called to live in the light. We, we are called to, to represent Christ. We are called not for ourselves. We're not seeking out Christian fellowship to meet our needs. No, we're seeking out Christian fellowships because we're already made whole and now we want to contribute. We want to contribute. We want to be a part. We want to sit among. We want to worship together. We want to pray together. We want to hear the reading of the word together. We're not showing up to show off. We're not, we're not showing up just to take. We're not showing up just to, just to exist, to be among believers. No, we're showing up to contribute. We're, 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 to, we're to give. And we're, and we're called to, to, and I love what it says here, 
In verse 10, anyone who loves another brother or sister is living in the light and does not cause others to stumble. Oh, how we need to hear that today. And so you watch how you live your life. You guard what's been entrusted to you. You are to be an example for others in the community and outside of the community. It's very clear here. Those who say they live in God, verse 6, should live their lives as Jesus did. This is how we're growing. This is how we're maturing. Remember last week, we, we are to resemble our Father. We're to grow up in this. And we're to take part in it. And He's distributed gifts among us so that they are to be used so that the community is strengthened and that the outsiders are impacted with this fragrance of Christ as He's drawing them to Himself. And we ought to be ready to receive them. First Thessalonians <clears throat> chapter 5 verse 14 first Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 14 through 22 again these are scriptures we've heard throughout the year we're into the ninth month now and man I pray that you all have seen growth in you for a desire to be in community and what does it look like to be in community with fellow believers, with Christ as the head, with gifts being given, operating in, a greater hunger to be among the people of God, to worship together. Like I pray seriously that you've seen a desire within you. And if not, then, then by all means, ask the Lord... <laughs> To give you that. Because again, you're not to live this life on your own. The most dangerous place for a Christian to be is by themselves. <laughs> to not have fellowship. To not have an opportunity to sharpen their iron. <laughs> iron sharpens iron. To, to, to learn how to use the sword. How to dressful battle, how to come in and have corporate worship. <clears throat> how to have accountability and to be accountable to one another. To operate in a way that God is getting the glory. Not just when we're together, but when we're by ourselves. That we, be, we are people of integrity. That even apart from the fellowship when we're just out into the world, that we're not losing our identity of who we are because we are marked and sealed for Christ. And so as we're out there, we're to be His hands and His feet. It's not about us any longer. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 14 through 22. We've heard it before, but let's hear it again. Brothers and sisters, we urge you to warn those who are lazy, encourage those who are timid, take tender care of those who are weak, 
Be patient with everyone. See that no one pays back evil for evil, but always try to do good to each other and to all people. Always be joyful. Never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. And don't stifle the Holy Spirit. Don't scoff at prophecies, but test everything that is said. Hold on to what is good. Stay away from every kind of evil. So the standards that are set before us, not because man has set them, no, because God has set them. Again, Jesus is the center. And we should hold each other accountable. We should, I love this, always be joyful, never stop praying, be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. And we just stay away from all kind of evil. I want to move on now to scriptures on warfare. When we think about that, that scripture there in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 22, to stay away from every kind of evil. We hear that throughout the letters to the churches and how the church is reminded who she belongs to, who she is. Again, you have all types of people from all backgrounds of life a part of, that have taken part of all other types of communities, but now they're coming together as one into one fellowship, into one community through Christ. And now they're learning and they're living how to love Christ and each other so they can go forth and impact the world. We're to stay away from every kind of evil. We understand that this is a war. Again, We've heard it over, I've preached it over and over, like it's an all-out war. And as I've gone through this past week, praying for our fellowship, praying for churches, praying for Christians, and the opportunity to sit down and talk to different Christians of what they're facing and what they're going through, listen, it's amping up. (laughs) And we know it will continue. To amp up because the earth is getting darker. I mean, again, you could talk to unbelievers. They recognize there's something going on throughout the earth. They know something big is about to be unleashed. And we have the truth. We know the prophecies. And if you don't, you should be studying them. You should grow in the knowledge in your faith, and in the God whom whom you say you believe in. Like you are positioned for this generation. You are called to go forth, declare the gospel, to live upright among the wicked and perverse, knowing that they're going to hate you because they hated him, knowing that you have an enemy You have this realm in which the Word of God tells us 
that you cannot see. You have the world system that would love nothing more than to lure you in and to shackle you up. And you have yourself, that old nature that you were born into that was in complete rebellion to a holy God. These are what these forces are contending for your very soul. But Christ is greater. Christ has already won the victory. And that's how we're supposed to live. As if we have overcome through Christ. That's who we are. That's our identity. So how... How are you representing Christ to others? How are you being an ambassador for His kingdom? How are we? Reflecting Christ. It's an all-out war. So we should remain humble, submitted to God, then resisting the enemy, knowing he has to flee. He cannot have anything unless you give it to him. That's why I keep warning you, don't give him a foothold. Don't allow strongholds to develop. Don't allow division to be among us. Don't be selfish, but remain humble. Think of others before you think of yourself. Care enough to, 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 and long enough to see a revival among God's people that then would cause such a wave of salvation to come to the lost in these last days. How are you thinking as you're going about your day? From the moment you get up to the moment you lay down. As you're walking into work, as you're driving through the streets. How many of you prayed for the city this week? How many of you prayed as you're going down through streets? Or you're walking into stores or you're walking into situations and you're discerning something is off. But instead of bad-mouthing, instead of getting aggravated, instead of responding like someone who is not in Christ, how did you respond? Did you pray? (laughs) Did you love? Did you serve? Did you step back so one can go ahead? (laughs) Like there's a way in which we ought to be living, you all. There's a way in which we ought to be engaging in direct combative warfare, not in and of ourselves, but only through Jesus and through the power of the Holy Spirit to claim the ground in the name of Christ. And his kingdom. So these scriptures I hope again. To give to you. So that you could take back. And meditate upon. 
apply them to your life, share them with others, take this serious. Your Christian life is just not a whirlwind, it's just not a here and now and then maybe tomorrow. No, it's constant. It is who you are, it is your identity. Apart from Him, you're nothing. And you just don't want to hold a form of religion that does not transform you. Because again, I can't stress it enough, that's the people we're to stay away from. That's specifically the people the Bible says have nothing to do with. People who call themselves Christians, but are easily angered. People who hold a form of religion, oh, they do all the religious stuff, but their lives aren't transformed. They're at every service. They're at every prayer group. They know the Bible from back to front to left to right. They've been on the mission field. They serve. They clean. They give. They do. And yet their lives are not transformed. And those are the ones that we're told to have nothing to do with. Put them out of your fellowship. Have nothing to do with them. They're making a mockery of Christ. Because Christ isn't transforming them. Because their faith, their religion is of themselves. They've created their own God and they just slapped Jesus' name on it. We have to understand there's many false messiahs. We're warned time and time and time again. And do you realize it's only going to increase? The stage is being set for the Antichrist. This is what we're living and this is the times we're living. And that's why we have to wake up. And so as I'm listening to these families and I'm talking to these people and I'm hearing what's going on in their lives and I'm like, dear God. And I said on Wednesday night, we think it's bad now. Wait till next week. (laughs) Wait till next month. But Christians, don't grow weary. Don't be fearful. Stand up. Begin to declare truth. Begin to take authority in the name of Jesus and intercede and push back up against the enemy. Advance. Don't give up ground. Take ground. And maintain it. It's so vital, you all. It's so vital. I mean, I sat down with the mother this week. <laughs> and I said, Jesus, every fi- everything's fine. Life's going good. Daughter's doing great. And then within a week, she doesn't know who she is. She's a boy. All of a sudden, like overnight, I 
And then within two days, she finds out her, her son is doing drugs. Running amok. Showed no signs until about a week and a half ago when people, other kids started taking notice in him that he had the liberty of having an opportunity. He has a car, he can drive. They never paid attention to him before. Now they're paying attention to him. And he just has this longing to belong. I said to the mother, isn't it the same for all of us? Remind them about Jesus. That her daughter was so sensitive to the things of Christ and to the things of God, but now she rails against him and against her parents. So much hatred in her eyes and her heart. She said her countenance isn't even the same. How does this happen? Listen, you all, people are going through it. And we just want to just come and go as we want. (laughs) Lord Jesus, help us. It's only going to get crazier. And we've got to love people enough to tell them the truth. We've got to care more about, and I can't say this over and over, we need to care about their eternities more than their temporalness. Like enough's enough. If they choose to keep running a month, then that's their choice. But love them enough to get in the way. And if they push you out of the way, then get out of the way. But at least you did it. And not just coddle them or have some weird codependent relationship with them. No, what's wrong is wrong. And here is the truth. And I say this in love. Because I care more about your eternity than your temporal desires and everything that you're chasing out here. Because it's going to kill you. But God has loved you so much that He's provided a way out. And His name is Jesus. See, again, it can't just be a head knowledge. You can't just have a form of religion. No, no. Your life needs to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That this isn't... This, your life is, is brand new. You are a new creation. And I love, as we just read in the scripture, when he says, I'm writing to, to the mature, I'm writing to the weak. And I love the fact when he tells the weak, you have already overcome the evil one. You see, Christ on the cross... <laughs> publicly shamed the enemy, stripped him of his power, 
as he rose up on the third day. God has done it, you all. God has done it. And so we need to understand, like, listen, this isn't some just some kumbaya type faith where we just believe these weird things. No, this is the reality of what is true. And we are to be engaging in warfare. We are to be as innocent as a dove and wise as a serpent. So hear this, 1 Peter chapter 5. Scriptures on warfare. Oh, how I pray you get in them. Oh, how I pray that you take this week and begin to ask the Holy Spirit to train you up. That you're tired of playing the games. That you want to grow up in Christ. You want to stand and stand there for then in the assurance of who He is. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. Stay alert. Watch out. For your great enemy, the devil, he prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Stay alert. Watch out. Don't be consumed with all these circumstances that's going on around you. Don't give in and don't give up. Hold your head up. Believe in Christ, the risen King of kings, the Lord of lords. You have all access to the kingdom of God and you're wallowing around like you don't even know Him. Start taking authority. Kick in the front door of your house and walk in with the anointing of Jesus Christ. Start raising up the standard of righteousness and stop being overtaken by unrighteousness. Giving yourself over to anything and everything. Anyone and everyone. Submitting to confusion, depression, oppression, everything else. The poor me, the poor me, the poor me. And get up and start living as one who has been redeemed. As I posted today in the, in the Christians that what they're facing in Afghanistan, that's just again one part of the world. And that which they have to face every day is not defining them. Is it hard? Yes. Would they love for the place for Afghanistan to be liberated? Yes. Each and every day they get up, they understand the oppression in which they are living in. But it's on the outside, it's not in them. Because every day they get up, and their lives are, are marked to be put to death. And yet they get up each day and they live. And come on. And we crumble if the wind blows against us. No, we got to raise, we got to get up, you all. We got to stay alert. We got to watch out. We got to understand that the enemy is still prowling around, seeking whom he may devour. He wants nothing more than to destroy your destiny in Christ. And he can't unless you allow it. 
unless you allow it. The enemy can have no right or take anything from you unless you give it to him. Why, and I've said this over and over, why would you give up your identity? Why would you give up your blessing for something temporal? Well, it's going to make me feel good right now. It's going to meet this need that I need right now. And so you're living your life based off of, 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 of the temporal satisfaction or the temporal numbness. <clears throat> when you ought to be getting up and getting through it. Stop looking for a handout. Lift up your eyes unto the one who stretched his arms out. (laughs) Who has washed you clean. You are forgiven. So live as such. Go to James chapter 1 verse 13. James 1 verse 13. And remember, when you're being tempted, do not say, God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong. And he never tempts anyone else. Oh, let's go on to 14. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires, let's move on to 15, give birth to sinful action. And when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. Listen to that, you all. Where does sin come from? It comes from the desires that are from within. You're tempted not because you're bad. Temptation will always be there. But you don't want to give birth to sin because you gave into it. No, you stand up against it. Go to Galatians chapter 5, verse 17. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. And so these two forces are what? Constantly fighting each other. So you are not free to carry out your good intentions. It is a war that is going on. You're either directed by your flesh or you're directed by the Spirit. And the Bible says if you walk habitually in the Spirit, you won't gratify the desires of the flesh. Do you understand you have the Holy Spirit of God? God Himself in you. If you're a Christian, and He's to lead you every moment of every hour of every day for the rest of your life. Again, it's just like you pick Him up when you want no, he's, he's residing in you, and as we said before, you're not to grieve him. You're to honor him with your thoughts, with your attitudes, with your whole being, because you're loving him. It's not a forced 
conversion or forced obedience. No, you obey Him because you love Him. Because you love Him. Freely as you receive, you freely give. So these two forces, the Spirit gives you desires that are opposite of the flesh, and the flesh gives you desires that are opposite of the Spirit. Choose this day. Choose this day and the days to come. Who's your master? Remember, sin is not to be your master. You are now slaves to righteousness. Right standing with God. Not because of yourself, but all because of what Christ has accomplished. Go to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2, verse 15. In this way, I love this scripture. He, being Christ, disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. I'll put that scripture in front of you. This is what I meditate upon a lot. Because yet though we have a great enemy... Yet though we have a world system that will love nothing more than to entangle us, and yet though we have that old nature screaming at us, they've all been defeated. But I love the fact that the greater of them, Satan and his legion of demons, are defeated. They have been, listen to this, circle this, highlight this, he what? Disarmed them. That's why you can declare as a Christian, no weapon forged against me shall prosper. Although weapon will be forged against you, but it will not prosper. He disarmed them. This is the God in whom, if you're, if you're saying you're a Christian, whom you belong to. He has disarmed that realm. It has no power. And the church should be excited. Take ground, church. Maintain it. Don't give it up. You can't clean your house. And not maintain it without them coming back stronger. Play games and see what you end up with. Keep dipping into the things you ought not to be dipping into and keep doing the things you ought not to be doing and keep neglecting fellowship because you want to do it your way. What satisfies you, what's comfortable for you. Seven times stronger. And you thought the first go around was rough? Keep playing, you all. You're making a mockery of God. 
And God is not one to mock. (laughs) In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. Oh, you ought to get excited. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Oh, Jesus. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Verse 13. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience, and God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, He will show you a way out so that you can endure. So that you can endure. To persevere. To get through it. Not to give in to it. Not to allow it to master you. But get up and start pushing in. Call a friend. Ask for prayer. You can't do it on your own. Seek God first and then connected with those that He's placed in your life that's going to stand with you, not coddle you, but stand with you in the truth and the authority of the Word of God. And stop making excuses for what you're giving yourself over to. Here. Guard your mind. Guard your heart. Take thoughts captive. Bring them into the obedience of His Lordship. Remember last week when we were reading, throw it off. How are you supposed to live if you were a thief? Quit stealing. Work hard. And give generously. You're living the opposite now. I live this way. I know how I would live if I was in control. But Christ is in control now. So how now then shall I live? By the Spirit. Well, what are what is the 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 the, the walk of a Christian, the life of a Christian? It's a spirit walk now. Knowing Christ, his attributes. His characteristics. How are you to live now? As we read earlier, like Christ did. Fully God, yet fully man, led by the Spirit of God. To accomplish the work of God. Like Jesus... He makes a way out, you all, of every temptation. I don't care what the enemy's throwing at you, what the world is throwing at you, or what's craving inside you. He makes a way out. You're without excuse. He's given us everything we need to live a godly life. That's what the Word of God says. And you have not because you've asked not. You're giving more thought to the temporal than you are the eternal and we have to wake up. We have to wake up in this hour. Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. 
Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. And I love the fact he's our example, Jesus. He's not going to call us to something that he hasn't already walked through. He understands our condition. Fully God, yet fully man. Tempted in every way Jesus was, but he did not sin. He was led in. Matthew 4, verse 10 through 11. How did Jesus endure? Get out of here, Satan! Jesus told him. For scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil went away, and angels came and took care of Jesus. <laughs> Come on, you all. That's amazing. Such great hope. Stop being weak-willed and get up and walk in your destiny. Walk in the, your identity now. Know His Word. Cling to Christ. Walk in His victory. Claim it. Believe it by faith. And see what God is going to do to accomplish His plans, His purpose. Not yours, but His. And I love that picture. And angels came to took care of them. See, we're going to face seasons. We're going to face wildernesses. We're going to face the valleys. It's what you do there in the midst of them. That really shows you your character. It shows you what you're lacking. And you don't beat yourself up. Oh, I'm a bad Christian. No, you say, okay, I see it, God. And thank you for revealing it to me. Forgive me, Father. If it was not for this valley or this wilderness, I wouldn't have seen it. But you revealed it. And you're revealing it for a purpose, for a greater cause. So I give it to you. I yield to you, Lord. See, don't play the weird game where you just chase your tail. <laughs> and miss out what God is doing. Like, this is not it, you all. What, what we have here, and this isn't it. Like, something greater is coming. We were created for someone greater. And for all eternity, you all. We gotta shift our thinking. We gotta know whom we belong to. Second Corinthians chapter ten, verse four. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning 
and to destroy false arguments. Whose weapons? God's weapons. Of chapter 10, 2 Corinthians, chapter 10, verse 4. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. Listen, you better be able to stand, you all, because you're going to be challenged. People are going to mock Christ. And you've got to know that you know that you know. Or you're going to crumble. And you're going to make him look weak. It's an all-out war. And they come from the juggler. They will mock him and distort it. But you better believe it, you all. You better, be, you better be able to stand up against it. You're not out there to cause fights. You're not out there to even win fights. You're just out there to stand. And stand there for then. And let God be the one that bring, gains the victory. The only time Jesus tossed tables whipped them, formed that whip, and just went around. It was, was, was in his house with the religious people. He didn't do it out there in the world. And that's why I keep telling you what we're reading here is not written for the lost. The, the believers are being corrected. The believers are being disciplined. Remember who you are. This is how you're to live now. Remember where where you came from. Stop that. That's not who you are. You're honoring Christ. You're a representative of Christ in his kingdom. That's why Paul took the beatings. He could have fought back. Remember, they drug him out of the city, left him for dead. The believers surrounded him. And he got up. And he went back in. See, this is a whole new way of living, you all. And we just want to make it about, you know, however we want it. Make our programs. Let's do this. Make it comfortable for me. Uh, you know, do it. Oh, I don't like that preaching. It's too long. Oh, I don't like the music. Oh, I don't like this. Oh, they ask for too much money. We have all these excuses. And listen. People are ready, man, to go toe-to-toe with you. To tear down Christ. To question you. Can you stand And if you can't, then would you get discipled? Would you you stop pretending you're in when you're not? Would you begin to engage? It's the first thing that the military does. They break your will. 
so that you would submit to authority. It's no different. That's a kingdom principle. Your will has to be broken. And the only way to break it is by you declaring it has no power. If you're a child of God, you stand up and say no more. Again, he's not going to force you. See, you, if you, you will obey him if you truly love him. And if love is not what's motivating you in this Christian life, oh no, it's just religion, it's just works. It's just all pretending. It's just a warped reality that's not even real. Because your will is not yet broken. Oh, how we better hear it today, you all. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the stronghold of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. Let's go to 1 John 4.4. 4. First John 4.4 4. But you belong to God my dear children. Oh God. You have, already, you have already won a victory over those people because the spirit who lives in you is greater than the spirit who lives in the world. Oh can you just get excited? Can you find strength from the word of God today? as the Spirit of God is testifying of the power of God within you to celebrate the risen God. Go to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11. Put on... All of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. And then John 10.10. The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and to destroy But my purpose, Jesus says, is to give them a rich and satisfying life. It's the thief that comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Don't be ignorant. You see it, recognize it. You ought to be warring up against it. Not going along with it. Not catering to it. Not giving it ground. But being reminded of what Jesus says, but I've come to give you life. A rich and satisfying life. A whole life. Nothing missing, nothing broken. You can walk in purpose. Because you're highly valued. Don't strip off your worth to please others. Stop trying to find acceptance from the outside when you are highly valued by the one who created you. Ephesians, back to Ephesians. Ephesians 6. 
You said we were just there. Well, get back there. Ephesians 6, verse 18. Pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Here it is again. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. I love that. Remember, the Bible calls us to pray without ceasing. You don't stop. It's every day. It's throughout the day. And I love this final scripture I'm going to give you on warfare. Romans 8.37 Take it and plaster it up in all your rooms. Romans 8 verse 37 No, despite all these things, overwhelming what? Victory is ours through who? Christ, who loved us. Overwhelming victory is ours through Christ, who loved us. Love wins, you all. Love wins. Above all, love wins. Years ago, I looked at Norma. Run amok all you want. But in the end, love wins. Listen, you have to remind yourself and others. <laughs> and we just want to cheapen love. I love you, I love you, I love this, I love We just cheapen it. We've given ourselves over to so many people if you lived a loose life before Christ, loving everybody and anything, ah, rubs up against you. Oh no, but when you know love, when you know God, God is love. When you know that agape love, when you understand the value that is there, the worth that is there, you're not going to settle for scraps. You're not going to settle. Oh no, I'm not living like this no more. You want to keep partaking in it? You can have at it. But not me. Oh, so now you're all holy and religious. No, no. I'm just now finally right with God. And you can say whatever you want. But it is finished. That goes for everything that, if, that you have given yourself over to. And you let that will be broken. It's finished. Drag yourself in front of the mirror this week and just say that over and over. It is finished. Enough with you. Listen, we kind of wake up, you all. But did you hear that? No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ. So you got to preach yourself happy, you all, who loved us. And nothing, and nothing, and no one can separate us from his love. Oh, there's a way that you can live this week, you all. Doesn't mean life's going to be easy because in this world you will have trouble. But be of good cheer, Jesus says. I've already overcame the world. This thing that you're wrestling with, it's already done. Just follow me. Oh, but this, no, 
follow me. But I don't know. Follow me. But what about follow me? But you keep asking. You keep looking back. Understand what the Word of God says. Jesus, again, knows our nature. So that's why he can look at us and say, if you put your hand to the plow and you keep looking back, you're not fit for my kingdom. He's not being mean. It's just the reality. He understands the condition that we're in. And he's saying, listen, I've come to set you free. Remember, he even prayed. He didn't ask the Father to take us out of the world. No, but to keep us in it and send us out among it. But to protect us by the name that he has been given. The name of Jesus. Listen, you all. It's all out war. But as a community, it's the body of Christ, as a local church fellowship. We're in this together. We're in this together. And this is how we're supposed to be living. The Heidelberg Catechism. I told you when I started it, there would be days that we may not agree with as a fellowship. Or maybe some will and some won't. But as long as it's not about salvation, the other things we could disagree on and be okay with. And there's a point in this part of the catechism that I wanted to share with you, but that it is of my understanding I don't follow it. And it's okay. And it's okay that the people who hold to this catechism follows it. No one's doing it right. No one's doing it wrong. It's about baptism. Question 72. Does this outward washing with water itself wash away sins? I'm in agreement with this. No, only Jesus' blood and the Holy Spirit cleanses us from all sins. Second question, which I'm in agreement with. Why then does the Holy Spirit call baptism the water of rebirth and the washing away of sins? Well, God has good reason for these words. To begin with, God wants to teach us that the blood and Spirit of Christ take away our sins just as water removes dirt from the body. But more important, God wants to assure us by this divine pledge and sign that we, I'm sorry, that we are as truly washed of our sins spiritually, spiritually as our bodies are washed with water physically. I'm, total, I'm in total agreement with that. The third one, though, is where I, 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 I go, well, I... I I'm not in agreement with, but brother, sister, if you believe it, I'm not fighting you over it. The third one is, should infants also be baptized? And yes, they say, infants as well as adults are included in God's covenant and people. And they, no less than adults, are promised deliverance from sin through Christ's blood and the Holy Spirit, who produces faith. Therefore, by baptism, the sign of the covenant, they too should be incorporated into the Christian church and distinguished from the children of unbelievers. 
This was done in the Old Testament by circumcision, which was replaced in the New Testament by baptism. So, I believe, and as a fellowship, the standards in which we have set to believe, again, you don't have to agree, but I'm just making you aware, that we, I would never baptize an infant. I would dedicate infants to the Lord. But I believe baptism is by choice after one has repented. And I understand their belief because I went back and I started studying and, and, and I would encourage you. I'm not, I'm not, and that's why, you know, that's why I want to put this out. I, I could have just kept it from you and just be like, no, that's just focus on what we believe. I don't want to do that because I love this catechism. These are truths that are being taught. This is how they've looked at scripture and they say, no, for infants, let's do this. And they can look at different places where, you know, Paul would speak or this or that. And, and that's all great. But from what I gained through Scripture, dedication for infants, children of, of, of Christian parents, Bible says, that they are holy children. They're not like the children of unbelievers, yet though they are of sin, But because of the union of Christians caring for them. And then I can take you down a whole road, which I don't have time. But listen, you should study. Because then the Bible even says to a wife of an unbelieving husband. You know, there's a way in which you can live your life to impact the lives of others. But when it comes to baptisms, I'm just going to stop there. Because you can go down many different roads and be encouraged. When it comes to baptism, we as a fellowship, I'm not going to fight with anyone who believes in that, but we as a fellowship and I as a pastor would never baptize an infant. I would dedicate them unto the Lord. And so that's the Heidelberg Catechism. Baptism is beautiful, you all. And again, if you haven't been baptized and you've accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior, you should walk in obedience now and be baptized and be discipled. Let's get to walking through Scripture today. I don't want to miss out on that. Second Kings chapter six, verse and my Second Kings chapter six through chapter seven. One day, the group of prophets came to Elisha and told him, As you can see, this place where we meet with you is too small. Let's go down to the Jordan River where there are plenty of logs. There we can build a new place for us to meet. All right, he told them, go ahead. Please come with us, someone suggested. suggested. I will, he said. So he went with them. When they arrived at the Jordan, they began cutting down the trees. But as one of them was cutting a tree, his axe head fell into the river. Oh, sir, he cried. It was a borrowed axe. Where did it fall, the man of God asked. When he showed him the place, Elisha cut a stick and threw it into the water at that spot. Then the axe head floated to the surface. Grab it, Elisha said, and the man reached out and grabbed it. When the king of Aram was at war with Israel, he could confer he would confer with his officers and say, 
we will mobilize our forces at such and such a place. But immediately, Elisha, the man of God, would warn the king of Israel, Do not go near that place, for the Arameans are planning to mobilize their troops there. So the king of Israel would send word to the place indicated by the man of God. Time and again, Elisha warned the king so that he would be on the alert there. The king of Aram became very upset over this. He called his officers together and demanded, Which of you is a, the traitor? Who has been informing the king of Israel of my plans? It is not us, my lord the king. One of the officials replied, Elisha, the prophet in Israel, tells the king of Israel, Even the words you speak in privacy of your bedroom. Go and find out where he is, the king commanded, so I can send troops to seize him. And the report came back, Elisha was in Dotham. So one night the king of Aram sent a great army with many chariots and horses to surround the city. When the servant of the man of God got up early next morning and went outside, there were the troops, horses, and chariots everywhere. Oh, sir, what will we do now? The young man cried to Elisha. And oh, would you highlight this? Circle it, do what you need to get it out in front of you. Verse 16, don't be afraid, Elisha told him, for there are more on our side than on theirs. You want to talk about insight to spiritual warfare? There are more on our side than on theirs. Then Elisha prayed, O Lord, open his eyes and let him see. The Lord opened the young man's eyes, and when he looked up, oh, when he looked up, instead of looking out and seeing everything in the temporal, when he looked up, he saw that the hillside around Elisha was filled with horses and chariots of fire. As the Aramean army advanced toward him, Elisha prayed, O Lord, please make them blind. So the Lord struck them with the blindness as Elisha had asked. Then Elisha went out and told them, You have come to the wrong way. This isn't the right city. Follow me and I will take you to the man you are looking for. And he led them to the city of Samaria. As soon as they had entered Samaria, Elijah prayed, O oh Lord, now open their eyes and let them see. So the Lord opened their eyes and they discovered that they were in the middle of Samaria. When the king of Israel saw them, he shouted to Elisha, My father, should I kill them? Should I kill them? Of course not, Elisha replied. Do we kill prisoners of war? Give them food and drink and send them home again to their master. So the king made a great feast for them and then sent them home to their master. After that, the Aramean raiders, the Aramean raiders stayed away from the land of Israel. Sometime later, however, King Ben-Hadon of Aram, Aram, Aram mustered his entire army and besieged Samaria. As a result, there was a great famine in the city. The siege lasted so long that a donkey's head sold, sold for 80 pieces of silver and a cup of dove's dung sold for five pieces of silver. One day, as the king of Israel was walking along the wall of a city of the city, a woman called to him, Please help me, my lord, the king. 
He answered, If the Lord doesn't help you, what can I do? I have neither food from the threshing floor nor wine from the press to give you. But then the king asked, What is the matter? She replied, This woman said to me, Come on, let's eat your son today, then we'll eat my son tomorrow. So we cooked my son and ate him. Then the next day I said, Kill your son so we can eat him. But she has hid, hidden her son. When the king heard this, he tore his clothes in despair. And as the king walked along the wall, the people could see that he was wearing burlap under his robe next to his skin. May God strike me and even kill me if I don't separate Elisha's head from his shoulders this very day, the king vowed. Elisha was sitting in his house with the elders of Israel when the king sent a messenger to summon him. But before the messenger arrived, Elisha said to the elders, A murderer has sent a man to cut off my head. When he arrives, shut the door and keep him out. We will soon hear the master's footsteps following him. When Elisha was was still saying this, the messenger arrived and the king said, All this misery is from the Lord. Why should I wait for the Lord any longer? Do you hear all the chaos that's going on? Do you hear how the man of God is being blamed? Do you, ultimately, do you hear how now it's God's fault? As it was in that generation, so it is in this generation. When things go awry, when things start getting rough, now everybody who doesn't believe in God wants to blame God. Now all of a sudden, they wanted to announce the fact that it's God that's doing this. But people of God better stand and stand to the assurance as they've done throughout all centuries. Elisha was a man of God. Did you hear that over and over? Go back and highlight that every time they say it. What's your character like? How are you known? He was known by a man being a man of God. He did not cower. He did not cave. He stood in the promises of God and in the direction and the leading of God. And they have got Israel, God's people, God's people have gotten in the place, yet though it was told they would end up here, they're eating their own. They're eating their own. They're under siege. Remember, ultimately, they're going to be led into a horrible captivity because they chose to turn from God. But here, think of this desperate place that they must be in. There's no food. The land is drying up. And now they're cannibals. These are God's people, you all. You step away from God. You live and go and you chase that which is ungodly. All hell. All hell will come. Open up our eyes. Look at the generation in which we're living. Look at what's happening throughout the earth. You can't make this up. Do y'all watch, even watch the news? You, you don't even have to listen to conservative news. I know people want to make things, oh, it's all conspiracy theory, but it's all happening around the earth. There's a group of people, you can look it up, these are powerful, wealthy group of people who are asking, who are making a way for everything to be reset upon the earth. They think they're doing it, 
but it's all hell behind them. And yet God is sovereign still over it. They are burning up lands, farmlands. Look what's happening overseas. Look at what's happening even here in the United States. Go back and Google how many food plants have been destroyed in the United States. Look at now the power outage warnings that they're talking about. Watch everything that's happening. But don't crumble. Don't lose heart, Christian. Be the people of God. Use wisdom and discernment. Stand in this hour and boldly declare the things of God. You will be hated. They're coming for Elisha's head. You're in the way, Elisha, and your God is in the way. Elijah replied, listen to the message from the Lord. <laughs> this is what the Lord says. By this time tomorrow, in the markets of Samaria, five quarts of choice flour will cost only one piece of silver. And ten quarts of barley grain will also cost one piece of silver. He, basically, Elijah's saying God's about to turn this around. What looks hopeless now is full of hope tomorrow. The offer... The officer assisting the king said to the man of God, that couldn't happen even if the Lord opened the windows of heaven. Dear God. But Elisha replied, you will see it happen with your own eyes, but you won't be able to eat any of it. Now there were four men with leprosy sitting at the entrance of the city gates. Why should we sit here waiting to die? They asked each other. We will starve if we stay here. But with the famine in the city, we will starve if we go back there. So we might as well go out and surrender to the Aramean army. If they let us live, so much the better. But if they kill us, we would have died anyway. So at twilight, they set out for the camp of the Arameans. But when they came to the edge of the camp, no one was there. For the Lord had caused the Aramean army to hear the clatter of speeding chariots and galloping of horses and the sounds of a great army approaching. The king of Israel, <coughs> they thought the king of Israel has hired the Hittites and the Egyptians to attack us. They cried to one another. So they panicked and ran into the night, abandoning their tents, horses, donkeys, everything else as they fled for their lives. When the leopards arrived at the edge of the camp, they went into one of the tents uh, um, after another, eating and drinking wine, and they carried off silver and gold clothing and hid it. Finally, they said to each other, this is not right. This is a day of good news. We aren't sharing it with anyone. If we wait until morning, some calamity will certainly fall upon us. Come on, let's go back and tell the people at the palace. So they went back to the city and told the gatekeepers what had happened. We went out to the Aramean camp, they asked, and no one was there. The horses and donkeys were tethered and the tents were all in order, but there wasn't a single person around. Then the gate people shouted the news to the people in the palace. The king got out of the bed in the middle of the night and told his office, officers, I know what has happened. The Arameans know we are starving, so they have left their camp and have hidden in the fields. They are expecting us to leave the city and then they will take us alive and capture the city. One of his officers replied, 
We had better send out scouts to check into this. Let them take five of the remaining horses. If something happens to them, it will be no worse than if they stay here and die with the rest of us. So the two chariots with horses were prepared, and the king sent scouts to see what had happened to the Aramean army. They went out, I'm sorry, they went all the way to the Jordan River following a trail of clothing and equipment that the Arameans had thrown away in their mad rush to escape. The scouts returned and told the king about it. Then the people of Samaria rushed out and plundered the Aramean camp. So it was true that five quarts of choice flour sold that day for one piece of silver, and ten quarts of barley grains were sold for one piece of silver, just as the Lord had promised. The king appointed his officer to control the traffic at the gate, but he was knocked down and trampled to death, the king was, as the people rushed out. So everything happened exactly as the man of God had predicted when the king came to his house. The man of God has said to the king, by this time tomorrow in the markets of Samaria, Five quarts of choice flour will cost one piece of silver, and ten quarts of barley grain will cost one piece of silver. The king officer had replied, That couldn't happen even if the Lord opened the windows of heaven. And the man of God had said, You will see it happen with your own eyes, but you will not be able to eat any of it. And so it was, for the people trampled him to death at the gate. You see, God can turn around in an instant. What looks like a situation that's a dire situation. Nothing good can come from it. Oh, but we must hear from God. We must be led by God. The enemy does not have the upper hand. He does not have the upper ground. Those who are with us are greater than those that are with him. And the church can celebrate you all. You can have confidence in your God. And yet, here's another beautiful picture. As you turn to Acts chapter 15, verse 36. Here's yet another beautiful picture of the Lord providing for them, His people. Though they turned from Him, Though they have rejected him, though they are worshiping other idols, yet in his mercy, in his mercy, he is revealing to them, yet again, come out from among them and come to me. He does that as he did then, so he does with us today. Why are you among them? Why are you among that? That is not who you are, you belong to me. His mercy, yet again, is upon you to lead you out from where you wandered off to. Come back to Jesus. If, if you've strayed away, if you wandered away, or if you've never come to Jesus, well, come to Jesus, because he's extending yet again mercy. His wrath has not swallowed you up. <laughs> His grace is being extended to you. Acts chapter 15, verse 36. We're going to read through Acts chapter 16, verse 15. After some time, Paul said to Barnabas, Let's go back and visit each city where we previously preached the word of the Lord to see how the new believers are doing. 
And Barnabas agreed and wanted to take along John Mark. But Paul disagreed strongly since John Mark had deserted them in Phililia and had not continued with them in their work. Their disagreement was so sharp that they separated. Barnabas took John Mark with him and sailed to Cyprus. Paul chose Silas, and as he left, the believers entrusted him to the Lord's gracious care. Then he traveled throughout Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches there. And we're going to see later where John Mark and Paul kind of reconcile. But at this time, Paul saw that John Mark was not ready for the ministry in which they were called to. But as you would know, and as you've learned of Barnabas, Barnabas is an encourager. So he wanted to take John Mark and ultimately see John Mark grow. And so it's okay that we see disagreement here because ultimately God used all four of these men to accomplish what God has called them to. Paul went first to Derby and then to Lystra, where there was a young disciple named Timothy. And oh, how I love Timothy. <clears throat> and now we're introduced to him. His mother was a Jewish believer, but his father was Greek. Timothy was well thought of by the believers in Lystra and Iconium. So Paul wanted him to join them on their journey. In difference to the Jews of this area, he arranged for Timothy to be circumcised before they left, for everyone knew that his father was Greek. Then they went from town to town, instructing the believers to follow the decisions made by the apostles and elders of Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in their faith and grew larger every day. And you may say, but wait a minute, didn't last week we read that the church said, oh, you don't have to circumcise them. Well, don't go down that road. Look at what God did here. Paul wasn't saying that Timothy needed to be circumcised in order for salvation. He knew that the way to get in to win favor among the Jews in this area was for Timothy to submit to be circumcised. And so Timothy did. And look, so the churches were strengthened in their faith and grew larger every day. Larger every day. See, they thought of others before they thought of themselves. This could be a hindrance, Timothy. And we don't want to have any hindrance. We want to be able to get in there. We want to be able to strengthen them and encourage them. And I love the fact that Timothy said, okay. He didn't think of himself. He didn't demand, I don't have to. For goodness sakes, the council just said. He could have fought back. He could have, should have, would have. But he didn't. If this is an opportunity for the others to be strengthened and encouraged, so be it. Some of us are clinging to things that we ought not to cling to. <laughs> Gotta let things go. Some of us are identifying with our past more than we're identifying with the presence of who Christ is and what he's calling us to. Then when you put others before you to encourage them, to edify them, to build them up, to see them strengthen, yeah, it can be uncomfortable. And that was uncomfortable for Timothy. But he saw the greater good come from it. 
Next, Paul and Silas travel through the area of these two cities there. Galatia was one of them. Because the Holy Spirit had prevented them from preaching the word in the province of Asia at this time. Then coming to the borders of Messiah, they headed north for the province of Bithynia. But again, the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them to go there. So instead, they went through Messiah to the seaport of Tross. That night, Paul had a vision. A man from Macedonia in the northern Greek in northern Greece was standing there pleading with him, Come over to Macedonia and help us. So we decided to leave for Macedonia at once, having concluded that God was calling us to preach the good news there. Don't get ahead of God in your ministry. So many times we're, we're fighting to get there, and all the while it's God saying, no, that's not where I want you right now. Sometimes we're making it the devil, and sometimes it is the enemy. But even if it's the enemy, the, the grounds would break and you will get there. But when it's God, there's no breaking. You can fight it all you want. And if you did get through, you'll probably be swallowed up. So we have to use discernment. I love the fact that that's what we see here, discernment. And it's captured for us. It was the Spirit of God, and it was the Spirit, it's always been, it was the Spirit of Jesus keeping them from going. But as soon as Paul had the vision, they knew where they belonged. We boarded a boat at Trous and sailed straight across the islands of that island, that name, I'm not going to butcher it. And the next day we landed in Nathalias. From there we reached Philippi, a major city and district of Macedonia and a Roman colony, and we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath we went a little way outside the city to a riverbank where we thought people would be meeting for prayer. And we sat down to speak with some women who had gathered there. One of them was Lydia from Thyatira, a merchant of expensive purple cloth who worshipped God. As she listened to us, the Lord opened her heart and she accepted what Paul was saying. She was baptized along with other members of her household, and she was asked, and she asked us to be her guest. If you agree that I am a true believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my home. And she urged us until we agreed. Oh, what beautiful, what's beautiful, what a beautiful ending in the book of Acts. <laughs> There's Lydia. A woman of prominence, a woman of, 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 of riches. She's a rich, wealthy woman. There she was gathered. And here the men of God come, share the good news. She accepted it. And did you catch it? Not only her, but her whole household was baptized. And then I love this picture of hospitality. Because that's what it is, you all. And we've heard it over and over before. We ought to practice hospitality. She opened up her home. Come, come, stay with us. She's not considering everything that she has, hers. Just open up, you all. Just open up and be willing to, 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 to tend to people, to care for people, to feed people, to house people. To do whatever may be needed. All for the glory and the honoring of our God. Let's wrap up. Psalm 142. 
Psalm 142. I cry out to the Lord. I plead for the Lord's mercy. I pour out my complaint before Him and tell Him all my troubles. When I am overwhelmed, you, will, you alone know the way I should turn. Wherever I go, my enemies have set traps for me. I look for someone to come and help me, but no one gives me a passing thought. No one will help me. No one cares a bit what happens to me. Then I pray to you, O Lord. I say, you are my place of refuge. You are all I really want in life. Hear my cry, for I am very low. Rescue me from my persecutors, for they are too strong for me. Bring me out of prison, hallelujah, so I can thank you. The godly will crowd around me, for you are good to me. Oh, our situations may be bleak, but our God is greater. And we ought to have our confidence and our identity in Him and not longing to be accepted by man. Proverbs 17, two nuggets of wisdom. 17, verse 24 and 25. Sensible people keep their eyes glued on wisdom. Oh, that we would hear that. But a fool's eyes wander to the ends of the earth. Foolish children bring grief to their father and bitterness to the one who gave them birth. Oh, that we would be sensible people, the people of God, trusting in the living God. So let us close with a song of worship. And then I'll close us in prayer. Yeah.